Welcome to The Next Track, a podcast about how people listen to music today. I'm Doug Adams. And I'm Kirk McElhern. Hello, and thanks for downloading and listening to this episode of The Next Track. This is episode number 17, and this episode is brought to you by Kirk's book, Take Control of iTunes 12. You can get 30% off the book right now by going to thenexttrack.com slash iTunes. So just a couple of days ago, Apple held its annual iPhone Apple event, introducing the new iPhone 7 and the new Apple Watch. But of course, we're only interested in the new audio-related features. And as rumored, and as we've talked about on past episodes, the headphone jack on the iPhone will be no more. Yeah, the iPhone 7 will see the removal of the headphone jack in favor of the lightning connector, the already existing lightning connector, which is now usable with Apple's earpods. So they include earpods with the phone that work with a lightning jack. And you can buy those earpods, I think they're $29 or something on, on the Apple store. And the iPhone also comes with a little dongle, which is a lightning to one eighth inch stereo jack dongle. Now, Phil Schiller, made a bit of a gaffe, in my opinion, talking about how this change reflected courage. I think, and I wrote this on my website, courage is not moving to the back of the bus. Courage is not removing a, a hardware port and then collecting licensing fees from companies who want to use your proprietary lightning connector. I think that's a big mistake. I think if Apple had simply said, we think this is a good idea, we think this is the future, then it would have been at least defensible to me. And we've been talking about the alleged disappearance of the headphone jack for a while, more than a year since the first rumors came out and the iPhone 6S was supposed to be bereft of headphone jacks. So we weren't entirely unprepared for this to happen, but the way they approached it, I mean, Phil Schoer said something that this is a hundred year old technology and old is bad, new is good. You've worked in studios and radio stations and all that. It, it seems to me that the headphone jack, and I'm using this in the broad spectrum because it's also used for things like microphones and speakers and, and all that, is probably one of the best simple technologies there is in audio. Yeah, this is a tried and true and ubiquitous audio connector. And while I personally am a big proponent of wirelessness, I didn't think they'd announce the three things that were predicted, lightning connector, earpods, lightning to mini adapter and a wireless option. I thought two out of those three were possible. And even though we might have been expecting something along these lines, now that they've announced it, it feels very abrupt, especially when you consider that so many other devices can accept a standard mini headphone jack. Yeah, you know, it's funny that Apple said that they had sold, what was it, a billion iPhones? They had reached a billion? Yeah. Well, there are several billion devices in the world that use headphone jacks, either the male part, which is the part that plugs into the jack, or the female part, which receives the plug. So as we're recording this show, we're each listening to headphones, and they're both connected to our computers one way or another by wires. Mine is conveniently connected to a headphone jack in my microphone. I mean, what would be more practical to have the headphone jack in the microphone as opposed to having to run the cable behind the computer or to someplace else? It's just, it's a wonderful technology. Now, I do agree that Bluetooth headphones, wireless headphones are, are interesting. I have a pair and I use them when I'm walking because you don't, the wire gets in the way when you're walking. Well, wires get in the way a lot under any circumstance. I mean, there's no arguing that wireless audio really works great. Wireless headphones, wireless speakers, wireless microphones, wireless guitars. I mean, that stuff's been around for a long time. But for the purposes of transitioning, this change 
Well, it's like I said, it's it's abrupt. And there's no denying that wireless is the future. Well, the, the future is wireless if companies can convince us to pay more for headphones with generally audio quality is not quite as good and that require charging every night. Well, periodically. Anyway. Well, not every night. Okay. Right. So my Bluetooth headphones, I have a pair of Jabra Revo Bluetooth headphones. I believe I can get about eight or 10 hours of listening. I never listen to eight hours on headphones in a day. Some people might if they have a long commute. Well, I wouldn't be surprised if many people burn through eight hours of a charge on a daily basis. But you could be required to charge every night. Yeah, I imagine a lot of people have that habit already. And, and I think this is a big constraint. You know, again, one of the wonderful things about headphones is you just plug them in. Uh, there's no drivers. There's nothing to install or update. There's no firmware. There's no problem pairing them because they just pair in the hole. Right. You just uh, you uh, plug you, them in. You just plug it in. And, right. you know, if you look at the jack, it's got three little parts to it. What is it? Left channel, right channel, when one's a sort of a... Common or ground. A, a common channel. It's an extremely good technology. Now, I had a couple of thoughts yesterday while this is going on. The AC plug, that plug that goes in the wall, I mean, that's 150-year-old technology. Why hasn't Apple gotten rid of that? It's probably Thomas Edison who invented that. Well, you know, if we're, if we're wishing for new innovations, what I wish is that they would invent the unlosable headphones. I mean, I don't know how they do that. Hey, maybe they're even working on it right now. Uh, but all facetiousness aside, uh, what I wonder is that when we look back years from now at the digital audio timeline, will this date be remembered as a G4 cube moment, or will it be remembered as the launch of the W1 wireless chip that launched a new era in wireless? I mean, it's just that right now we have to cope with some inherent bumpiness. And as the greater world's reaction is shock, fear, and loathing, is this a deal breaker? I mean, would this keep a person who wants an iPhone 7 otherwise from buying one? I mean, it shouldn't be. You can still get by with what they're giving you. Right, because they give you a dongle that lets you go from uh, from lightning to a headphone jack. But this means you can't charge your phone while you're listening to music or using it. I, I use the headphones that I'm wearing right now. I use them to make phone calls. And every once in a while, I, I have a very long phone call. And I may need to charge my phone while I'm on the phone. Well, I think that's where the third-party stuff comes in. You know, someone like Belkin or will come up with... You know, some kind of dock where you can, you know, listen while you charge, right? Well, there are there are already dock connectors, I, I believe, that can do this. Oh, of course, because you can't access the uh, headphone jack while it's plugged into a dock. Of course, they exist already. But see, then you're getting your 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 solution to the problem is far more complicated than the problem itself, because. Wouldn't it be great if they could just bundle this in the device, in the phone, without having to have a wire? You know, the ability to charge and, and use headphones, which is the way it is now. So you mentioned the G4 Cube. I think the better example would be the Apple Hi-Fi. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. The, the Apple Hi-Fi was this big sort of in-house boombox with a... Uh, a 30-pin connector on top. Steve Jobs was hot for that, right? Right, and and you'd put your iPod into the dock connector on top. Um, that was a pretty resounding failure. Now, I, I know some people who said that the sound was good. I never heard it. But it was just the forerunner of all these little iPod speakers that we now see that are a dime a dozen that have no stereo separation and that have, you know, questionable sound quality. Let's uh, take a short break here. We'll be back to our discussion on jacks, pods, and music in just a minute. iTunes can be confusing, confounding, frustrating. Kirk McElhern has been using iTunes for 15 years to manage his large, eclectic music collection. And in his writings for Macworld, where he's the iTunes guy, he explains the common and arcane elements of Apple's music management application. Kirk's book, Take Control of iTunes 12, covers 
just about everything that iTunes can do, from ripping CDs and converting files to tagging, sorting, searching, and streaming. Take control of iTunes 12 will help you manage your media, sync to iOS devices, and lots more. Written in an easy-to-follow question-and-answer format, Take Control of iTunes 12 is the indispensable guide to iTunes. And right now, you can get Take Control of iTunes 12 and save 30%. Just go to thenexttrack.com slash iTunes. Save 30% on Kirk's Take Control of iTunes 12 by going to thenexttrack.com slash iTunes. So the next thing that comes out of this, and you said, could they make unlosable headphones? Well, they came out with these AirPods, which are a variant on their EarPods, which is what ships with the iPhone 7, but what's been shipping with the iPhone. So the difference is that they're wireless. And it's not that they're wireless like most other earbuds that you see, where there's a wire holding them together that goes around the back of your neck. They're like little Q-tips that stick in your ears and hang down about two inches. And, and that bit that hangs down contains the battery. I, I'm. It's hard to express how ludicrous I think these headphones are. And it's not that the idea itself is wrong. It's that who in Apple didn't think of how easy it's going to be to lose these things. When you use earbuds or ear pods, and, and I'm not talking about in-canal ones that actually stick in with the little silicone tips and, and they stay firmly. You know, how many times are you walking and you bump into something and one of them falls out and you grab it by the wire and you put it back in your ear? Well, this, when it falls out, someone's going to walk on it or it's going to fall on a subway grating or it's going to fall in the street and get run over. And you're going to lose half of a $160 pair of AirPods. Yeah, I wonder that too. I mean, I can certainly think of situations where I'm not likely to lose them, where if I just leave them at home you know, and just sit at my desk or sit in bed and use them. But as far as like commuting or forget jogging, forget running, forget any of that. I mean, they're going to just yeah. pop right out. Yeah. Um, I see people driving. I drove into Boston myself this morning and I saw a number of joggers with these white earbuds. And every so often you see one whoop, popped out, got to pop it back in. Yeah. Um, I also don't like that they over justified it. And that, like you said at the start, I wish they had said, well, we think this will be cool. I think people would have been a little more accepting of it. No, they had to say that it's magical. They had to say that it's magical. It's made with unicorn hair or something. Yeah. But well, and let's not forget that Apple events are marketing events. Let's not pretend they're birthday parties like some people seem to think. There are lots of earbuds like this that, that go in, that are wireless Bluetooth earbuds. And as I said, that have this wire that goes around the back of your neck. And that wire not only connects them so there's a single battery for them, but it's practical because it keeps you from losing them. There's something to hold on to. As you suggested, a great accessory would be um, something that connects the two, like uh, the sunglass. What, what, you, what do you call those? Uh, Th those glasses. What do you call the, the thing? The, what do you call the thing that you hang a uh, convention? Uh, yeah, you, that go around the lanyard. The, um, I think it's actually called. One Google search later. On Amazon, it's called a rope eyewear retainer. Classy. So they've got these little rubber rings at the end. And, you know, people put them for reading glasses that hang around their neck. And if you just attach this to the two um, ear pods, at least if one of them falls out, it won't go too far. You'll be able to not lose it. But the other thing is, too, the AirPods are not designed to be tapered. So there's really no way to get a good grip. Well, gaffer tape. <laughs> yeah, Sure. 
you, you could tape something onto them. You could maybe drill holes in. No, I, I think it's, I think the logic of this just defies belief. Now you mentioned, okay, if you leave them at home and you wear them in bed, but I could imagine having this just sitting in front of my iMac and I get a phone call and I pop it in my ear. And according to what they showed, it pairs instantly. And I could even take calls on my Mac, you know, using the handoff continuity features. And, and I think that would be quite interesting. But wearing them outdoors, I just don't, I don't understand. I, I mean, are they going to come out with a Find My AirPods app? You know, when they fall down in between the couch cushions and... Sure, somebody's working on that right now. Now, a lot of people yesterday were criticizing the fact that they only have five hours battery life. And I think that's a mistake. And so I have here a Bluetooth earpiece. So the kind, you know, you put on one ear and you use to talk on the phone. It is a Plantronics Voyager UC, I believe it's called. And it's got this big thing that goes behind the ear, which has a battery in it. And it has a few hours battery life. I'm not sure exactly how much, but it comes in a case, which is so about the size of a cigarette pack, a little bit smaller. And the case has a battery. So it works the same way. You, char you put it in the, the case and you charge it in the case. And when you're out and about, you get a few hours battery life from the earpiece, and then you put it back in the case and it charges without you plugging it in. So it's the same idea as what Apple's doing with the AirPods. And I, I think that's clever. It's a way of providing battery life without having a, a very big battery. Yeah, I have no argument with that. That seems to make a lot of sense. And the case helps you not lose them yes. to some degree. Yes. Now, one thing you pointed out was the, what is it called? The W1 chip? The W1 wireless chip, yes. Right. Now, Apple hasn't said exactly how these work. So it's interesting that to use these, you need to have an iCloud account. Is that true? Yeah. Uh, if you look at the small print on the, on the website, you need to have an iCloud account because what it does is it propagates the settings or whatever across your devices so it can instantly pair from one device to another. You need to have a Mac running Sierra, an iOS device running iOS 10, a watch using watchOS, um, watchOS 3, any of those, and an iCloud account. So you can't even use them with... Th these aren't Bluetooth headphones that you can use with another Bluetooth device. You can't use them with an Android phone. And vice versa. You can't well, you can use, still continue to use Bluetooth headphones with the new iPhone. Sure, you can still use any Bluetooth yeah. headphones with the new iPhone. But I think what they're doing here is similar to the technology that they have that's called AirDrop. It's a sort of automatic discovery technology. Uh, so on my Mac, for instance, if I go into the Finder and look at AirDrop, it'll show me that I've got an iPhone, an iPad, and a MacBook on the desk and then I can transfer files from one to the other. What it does is it uses Bluetooth for discovery and then it creates a sort of a point-to-point Wi-Fi connection. And the way you can be sure that this is not a normal Wi-Fi connection over your network is if you have any sort of um, tool that shows your network traffic, you'll see that when you're transferring files, it doesn't show any network traffic. So this is creating its own Wi-Fi network. In fact, you can use this without ha having a Wi-Fi network. You can be out in your car someplace and you've got your iPhone and your MacBook and you can transfer files. So I think they're using a similar technology with the W1 chip to get the audio from a device. Again, this could be a, a phone, a watch, or a camera into the AirPods. AirPods. Right. Into the AirPods. I knew you could do it. Don't cut that out. No. Okay. <laughs> because it is confusing. Now, another thing we did, um, I mentioned earlier that I pulled my ear pods out of a box and tried them, they sound terrible. They really sound terrible. They're tinny. They sound like bad AM radio. Yeah, they have ample high end. And the thing I find is that if, if you don't position them correctly, if you don't have the right kind of ears for them, they, they're, well, they're not great. They're not bad, but they're not great. 
I, I have never used these ear pods except when they first came out, they don't fit too well in my ears. And, you know, that's the problem with one-size-fits-all earbuds of any kind. Yeah, I use them for phone calls and podcasts, but not, not for music. I have other headphones for a critical listening. But that's what they're selling. They're saying that you can use them to listen to music. Well, I think the people who have those two to 3,000 song libraries that we mentioned not long ago are the target demo. Yeah. But listeners like us and listeners like our listeners, I presume, realize that although they may be serviceable, they are not superior. Am I being too polite? They sound bad. They sound crappy. Apple's website is very interesting. You know, the, the priority order of features and as they present them, and it starts out, wireless effortless magical. And, and you know, the fact that it pairs automatically, that's, that's quite interesting. And then wireless headphones finally untangled, right? Because there's no wire. Then what's a chip doing in there? A whole lot. So the W1 chip. Then 24-hour battery life, because with the case it's 24 hours. Finally, they get to clearly superior sound. It's great sounding music, movies, and more to your ears. Well... I would hope that they sound better than, you know, these cheap ear pods. This is going to be really difficult, ear pod and air pod. There is a difference in price, $29 and $160, which is made up, you know, it's the battery, the case, the, the processor. I hope they sound a lot better. From what I've heard, from what I've read only in the past few hours, the people who have given them a listen say they do sound good. Uh, but, you know, there people They've are been in, listening in Apple's hands-on after the, right, the press event, exactly. which is very noisy. And they're still under the spell of the reality, reality distortion, distortion field. field. <laughs> Can you put some reverb when you say reality <laughs> distortion field? Uh, you mean like this? Reality, reality distortion field. Good. The one other feature that, that we didn't quite mention is that it does have a sort of noise cancellation and what they call a beam-forming microphone, which makes them perhaps very good for phone calls. Anyway, that's October, and we don't know, you know, how that's going to play out. So the other big news is Apple Music. We're releasing this show on Friday the 9th, and iOS 10 is coming out on Tuesday the 13th, followed by macOS Sierra the following Tuesday on the 20th. Both of these will feature the new interface for Apple Music. Now, I'll add a couple of links in the show notes to some articles I wrote a few weeks ago about it. I'm, I'm pretty positive about what Apple's done to Apple Music. They've simplified it a lot. Instead of trying to cram everything into the interface, they've got bigger fonts and bigger displays, and, and they're not trying to make it look like everything is there. They're trying to make it look like a selection of things is there. Yeah, if you want to avoid something, it's easier to avoid. For instance, if you don't ever use, uh, what is it, Connect, you don't ever have to look at it. It's just not there. You don't just don't go there. There are two specific new items in Apple Music worth discussing. One is called My New Music Mix, and the other is called My Favorites Mix. Now, each of these contains 25 songs. They are algorithmically um, created from your library, your purchases, songs you've loved, songs you've listened to, playlists you've listened to, you know, the whole secret sauce that Apple uses to, to do this. Both of us have noticed that the My Favorites mix is really quite good. I mean, it, it takes music from your library. It's not adding anything you don't have, but it's 25 songs that say, well, hey, here's some stuff that you like. And maybe you want to listen to it. I've had two of them already, the, the initial one and then one updated on this past Wednesday. And I was, I was delighted, actually, like I was when I first saw the, the first For You playlists. I thought, wow, they, these really do feel like they've actually customized something for me because these are songs that I would certainly pick to listen to for an hour and a half. So I, I was pleasantly surprised with the, uh, the My Favorites mix. The new music mix, 
I don't know. I, I, frankly, I don't listen to a lot of new music. I'm still trying to catch up on a lot of old music. So that'll be fun to listen to occasionally. But I, I really was impressed with the My Favorites mix. Yeah. So, so for me, and, you know, we've discussed our respective musical tastes, and, and I'm seeing things like The Grateful Dead and Bob Dylan and Bowie, Lou Reed, Roxy Music, John Fox, Bebop Deluxe, Brian Eno. And, and it's a good cross-section of the music I listen to. Interestingly, there's no classical music at all. There's no jazz. It's all rock. Rock pop, yeah. progressive rock, things like that. There's nothing that's, that's even slightly off the beaten path. I wonder if that'll change if it learns that you, you play these things more frequently. Well, I play a lot of things. and, and yeah. I mean, it has a song from Traffic, which I've listened to once. Only once I added a Traffic album because, I don't know, a, a month or so ago we were talking about the Woodstock movie and there was Traffic played there. And I said, let me listen to a Traffic album. And I listened to it once. So the fact that it added something like that is a bit surprising. The new music mix is a little bit weird. So I mentioned that I've been playing some blues guitar lately, and the new music mix, because of that, the first half of it is all blues music. A lot of it's not new, but a lot of it is. Um, there are some new releases by Tampa Red, um, you know, maybe a song from the 30s and, and stuff like that. So it's half blues, and then I get the occasional sort of odd classical thing that that sort of come out of nowhere then a few more blues tracks there are one or two electronic tracks in it there's a steve reich but it's almost all blues now are they just assuming that because in the past couple of weeks i've been listening to a lot of blues that that's what i want to listen to if they look at my listening history my aggregate listening history number of plays and likes and and all that it's quite wrong and and it's it's surprising so i find this a little bit disappointing uh, on the day that we're recording on the thursday the 8th if I look at For You and Apple Music, the My New Music Mix doesn't show up anymore. I'm only seeing it because I saved the playlist. I'm only seeing the My Favorites Mix. And I have a feeling that they just turned it on um, a week ago for beta users and they turned it off and it'll come back on on the 13th. It is something that's shown up in their screenshots presenting um, Apple Music, although I think it was called Discovery Mix in the initial screenshots. So a Apple Music is, I think better than before. You don't feel drowned. You don't feel like they're trying to throw a whole bunch of stuff at you to see what sticks. I'm still not a fan of these playlists. I mean, Thursday's playlists for me, Asia Agogo, brilliant lo-fi rock from the Far East. I mean, never heard of any of these bands and never listened to any of this music. Michael W. Smith Piano Favorites, songs that makes this Christian music star's heart sore. Now, I don't listen to Christian music. I have no idea how that got there. You know, I'm always amused when you talk about the For You playlists that are generated for you because I just think your library is too big and too eclectic, and it just confounds the algorithm. Yeah. And you're in a minority. Yeah, well, Thursday's albums are... There, there are four groups of four albums. One is Because I Like Rock and Clapton and Dylan, Tim Buckley, and The Who... One is Since You Listen to Brad Meldow, so that's jazz, and it's got Chick Corea, Alice Coltrane, and two other jazz artists I don't know. Since You're Into Lou Reed, four people I've never heard of, and then More Like the Grateful Dead, which includes The Beatles, Spirit, The Mothers of Invention, and Big Brother and the Holding Company. So it's getting some stuff right, but interestingly, there's still no classical music in any of this. I mean, there are more. There's the Artist Spotlight playlist, and there's some Miles Davis New releases has a couple of pseudo classical crossover things, but there's no real classical music that shows up in any of these recommendations. And I actually have bought a fair amount of classical music over the years from the iTunes store. So. Have you really? <laughs> it may just be that um, 
you know, trying to categorize classical and jazz is, is more difficult and it's easier for them to spend resources on uh, working on algorithms that work with non-classical and, and non-jazz works. It would be weird because there are other genres. I mean, I do listen to reggae sometimes, dub, ambient music, and I'm not seeing any of those. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure. We'll, we'll find out. But I think if you're on the fence about Apple Music, um, it's worth looking into again. They just released the ability to buy a 12-month subscription for $99. So that comes to $8.25 a month instead of $10 a month. And, and that seems to be a pretty good deal if you are convinced that you want to use it. I, I think after last week's show, we were chatting and saying, you know, we should do a show about the reasons why people use a streaming streaming service. And I mentioned that I'm listening to all this blues and that for me, all of a sudden, Apple Music is worth the 10 bucks a month because I can go back and hear all these blues songs that I'm trying to learn how to play. Right. That's how I use it. I mean, to me, Apple Music is like having a library card. You can go to the library and take out some books and then bring them back when you're done. I don't need to acquire all this music. I just want to listen to it every now and then. That wouldn't be the only reason to spend $10 a month for music, but it's certainly a compelling reason you know, it, it adds up with the other reasons to make it worthwhile. So Apple announced they have 17 million users, and we still don't know if that's 17 million accounts or if some of them are family accounts. And it's still not a lot in the broader scheme of things of, of the, the total number of people in the world who listen to music. Oh, nowhere near. But th this is early days. You know, in, in 2020, we'll look back and did Apple Music take off or was it a failure and that sort of thing yeah okay we got to wrap it up um i have no plans to buy the phone or the watch what are where are your what are your shopping plans yeah i i don't plan to buy an iphone i don't plan to update my apple watch i may buy the airpods just out of curiosity and to use them for phone calls which you know justifies for me the the expense to just have something i can pick up and stick in my ear then that alone would you know save me time i agree i'm anxious to hear the airpods too all right Just a quick program note, next week's episode will feature an interview with New Yorker music critic Alex Ross, so you may want to make a note of that. It's time now to tell you about our next tracks. This is the music we've got ready to play at home. And before we do, I want to remind you that you can save 30% on Kirk's book, Take Control of iTunes 12, just by visiting thenexttrack.com slash iTunes. Look into that. Kirk, what's your next track? So my next track is Bob Dylan's 1967 album, John Wesley Harding. In, now, if you remember a little bit about Dylan's life in the early years, he toured all around the world in 65 and 66. And then he famously had a motorcycle accident in 1966, and he sort of withdrew for several years, and, and he wouldn't tour again until, what was it, 1975. John Wesley Harding is the first album he came out with, and this is following up on Blonde on Blonde, which is, you know, one of the best Dylan albums. And he went back sort of to Roots music with John Wesley Harding. It's a very short album, uh, 12 songs, 38 minutes, um, very sparse instrumentation. But it was his first album where he kind of drew back and started discovering other kinds of music, Roots music, old American music. And it's got some great songs on it. It's got the John Wesley Harding song, I Dreamed I Saw St. Augustine. It's got I'll Be Your Baby Tonight, I Pity the Poor Immigrant. And probably the most famous Dylan song that isn't famous for Dylan playing it all along the Watchtower. You know, everyone knows the, the Hendrix version, and Dylan's version is just basically an acoustic guitar. It's very simple. And I listened to the mono version of this, and it's a very, very good mono mix. And, and mono actually works really well with this kind of sparse music. Probably one of the underrated, excellent Dylan albums, uh, in my opinion. So it's John Wesley Harding, and listen to the mono mix if you can. It's, it's quite good.
What's your next track, Doug? My next track is The Carl Stalling Project, music from Warner Brothers cartoons, 1938 to 1956. This is a collection of the original soundtrack recordings composed for Warner Brothers cartoons. It was released in 1990. Uh, stuff like Looney Tunes and Merry Melodies. If you're of a certain age, you probably got your fill of Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck as a kid. Well, Carl Stalling created some of the most amazingly over-the-top, visceral music uh, for these shorts. And now, I'm not talking about the strictly music parodies that were the subject of a few of these cartoons. These are the incidental music cues that a lot of the time were part music soundtrack, part sound effects, part punchline and inside jokes. When you listen to these pieces of music removed from the visuals, it is amazing what the Warner Brothers music department could actually say musically. It's delightful, hilarious, crude, even intellectual, very much like the cartoons themselves. Give it a listen, even to just the first track, which is an actual session with Stalling and the orchestra trying to get a very complicated cue just right. The Carl Stalling Project, music from Warner Brothers cartoons, 1936 to 1958. It's my next track. This has been The Next Track, a podcast about how people listen to music today. You can find show notes and links to some of the things we talked about in this and other episodes at thenexttrack.com. There's also a contact form there you can use to send us comments. If you like the show, we hope you'll subscribe in iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And please think about giving us a review or rating. We'd appreciate that. I'm Doug Adams, and for Kirk McElhern, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time.